Hey guys, we have an incredible podcast coming your way. We're going to teach you exactly how to look great, feel strong at your ideal body weight. How? By teaching you about the latest innovations and the discoveries about hormones, the herbs, the natural approaches that will help you to optimize your stem cells, your mitochondria. Please stay tuned. This is a show you must listen to. Correct. Yes, I think it's changing a lot in the last, well, definitely the last 10 or 15 years, there's been quite a trajectory. And, you know, I used to teach to like, there'd be 10 doctors in a room and now there's thousands of doctors in a room. So it's definitely when we were in rooms, but it's definitely gotten more, more uh, ubiquitous and more and more people are recognizing it as the literature comes out and just substantiates how effective eating a plant-based diet is. Dr. Nick Delgado here with Juliana Hever, and you're a registered dietitian, which is actually quite unique as a plant-based uh, educator. And I know you're a certified uh, personal trainer. You know, it's interesting because uh, I used to work with Nathan Pritikin, and we had a registered dietitian named Denise Vilvin. And that was like 19, oh my gosh, 1978, 79. So it goes back. Uh, I really respect the field because I took several nutrition classes and uh, with registered dietitians. And as you know, they were teaching and still to this day tend to emphasize to a degree dairy product, meat, and, and uh, as part of the, the four food groups. Where do you think we've evolved to and um, where do you feel we can have an impact on dietitians and hospitals? And are they taking their orders from the doctors? What can we do to kind of usher this in? And I'm sure you've examined this, this idea and concept about we are what we eat. And you've even stated in a TEDx talk that most of chronic diseases could be eradicated by transitioning over to a plant-based whole food diet, right? Correct. Yes. I think it's changing a lot in the last, well, definitely the last 10 or 15 years, there's been quite a trajectory and you know, I used to teach to like, there'd be 10 doctors in a room and now there's thousands of doctors in a room. So it's definitely well, when we were in rooms, but it's definitely gotten more, more uh, ubiquitous and more and more people are recognizing it as the literature comes out and just substantiates how effective eating a plant-based diet is for not only re reversing advanced stage cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes and a lot of the um, associated symptoms and, and signs and risks for those most prevalent diseases, but um, it also helps prevent or reduce your risk for even starting with those problems to begin with. So there's a lot of a lot of potential for using food as medicine when you when you look at it from that standpoint. You have a book, The Health Span Solution, and I reviewed through it. Really good work. I mean, you're a good researcher. Who, who do you respect in the field as a plant-based doctor or an RD? Well, I have a lot of people that I respect and I work with and collaborate with and um, over the years. And uh, yeah, I love to research myself and dig into the literature. It's just been really exciting because there's more and more stuff coming out all the time, substantiating all of these benefits. What benefits do you personally notice for you and your family? And when did you start? I, I'm assuming you weren't always plant-based from childhood, right? Right. Yeah. Most of us are not, not lucky enough to be born into a lifestyle where, you know, 
families are already considering that, but it's happening more and more now. I work with a lot of families as, as their dietitian and you know how they're bringing this to the table for their entire family. It's really, it's so cool. But yeah, no, I started about 17. Well, I started my journey as a teenager, just like learning about this stuff. And, um, and I started researching it more after graduate school. And that's when I finally went for it. And uh, once I started reading everything, it was like, there was no reason I, I wouldn't want to to eat this way. And then it changed everything for my health. And I applied it with my family and it's just been extraordinary ever since. And then I didn't want to stop talking about it. So that's why there are <laughs> books and teaching and speaking. And it's just, it's the most extraordinary thing I've discovered in terms of healthcare. And I've been in the healthcare and fitness industry for 20 plus years, 25 years, years. Oh my gosh, you barely look pl- uh, 20 plus. So uh, <laughs> that, that's really amazing. Did you notice a difference in how you look and feel? Did it change your skin? Because I have a book, uh, Acne, Acne Be Gone for Good here. It's, it's on my desk here somewhere. But, um, you know, I'm the author of multiple books. And, and one of the things I discovered was, of course, uh, the plant-based, you know, diet uh, plays, uh, gosh, a major role in the quality of the skin, probably due to hormonal acne and other changes. But did you notice differences with your clients or yourself? Or I'm not sure how many kids you have, but did it change anything with them? And was it a struggle to help the kids to transition? Because it's one thing for you and I to make that decision. I have five kids and two grandkids ages, uh, gosh, what are my kids? 12 to 42 and two grandkids. So, you know, it's... um, it's sometimes a challenge. They go through or deal with what, what's out there in the general um, public and all the media and all the pressure to eat the wrong way. Uh, even the school lunches, I have to make sure my 12-year-old's got his school lunch packed properly, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, first, I'll go back to the first question. I noticed an extraordinary difference with my skin. I had suffered with acne my whole life. No matter what I did, I did. And once I went plant-based, it was gone. Like my skin wow. just really got better. And and then, yeah, I mean, I've worked with thousands of clients now over the years and I've seen everyone that removes, like the first thing I tell them is to remove dairy. And then when they switch to a plant-based diet, it's just like it's instant, instant success with their skin in terms of not even just acne, but like people that struggled with eczema and rosacea, a lot of times it can be resolved just by changing to a plant-based diet. Huge. And as a registered dietitian, they never taught that in the schools that I remember, right? No, no, no. They did not teach me this in school. Uh, and I, I was, I was, my ex-husband is a doctor. So I sat in on the med school nutrition classes and I have now lectured to thousands of doctors and I've talked to them about their education and it's not at all part of what they're learning in medical school and dietetic school. However, I think it's going to change. And I think because what's happening are so many physicians and healthcare professionals are learning about this for multiple different facets and they're implementing it into their practices. And so I believe it's going to, it's just a matter of time before it shows up in schools as hopefully the way of eating, it should be the way we all eat, not just some niche, you know, because it's so powerful. I want to go back to the skin because I have about 50,000 young people who have been using a protocol that I discovered regarding uh, cruciferous vegetables and broccoli extracts and so forth, things that actually help to modulate uh, particularly harmful types of xenoestrogens and endocrine disruptors, which clearly played a role ultimately in the solution to their skin. And even to a degree, the diet affects uh, one's insulin level and uh, PCOS. I'm not sure if you've seen some evidence because some people with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, not only have difficulty with fertility, but they, they have difficulty with their skin. 
you know, various type of hormonal imbalances. So what, what did you see uh, in regards to your skin? Did you try and backtrack and figure out, try and figure out the pathway of why it improved? I mean, skin problems are not an external problem, like rubbing all these things on the skin and proactive type stuff. It's an internal hormonal issue, isn't it? I agree. I mean, I definitely agree. If you think about that's why I always have people off dairy first, because it's hormonally active. And I think that, you know, stimulating IGF one and all that stuff. So I think that's definitely part of it. Also, you're getting this influx of carotenoids and all these other things that are skin protective and skill healing. So you're not only like putting in all this good stuff, but you're also not putting in all the stuff that is damaging to the fit to the body and the skin and the skin is just a reflection of what's going on internally right so when when you say uh igf you know i i tend to study a lot about if you will uh hormonal uh issues and uh dr terry hertog is 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 one of the physicians who's quite accomplished in if you will uh hormonal issues and i uh, i have a a book here. I'm, I'm just pulling up here just to show, let's see if we can see it on the screen, uh, the Atlas of Endocrinology. So many of the plant-based doctors are very opposed to hormonal in, intervention. And I, I think that's going to evolve and change over time as well. Uh, however, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that once we recognize the pathways for hormonal uh, interventions, uh, a whole host of issues, because, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about insulin and these guys are talking about, um, I guess pretty much high fat type diets to modulate, uh, insulin. And yet fat in probably in your experience has been shown to desensitize insulin and worsen over time, uh, the ability to monitor and control insulin instability and, and ultimately diabetes as well. Right. Well, I don't like to talk about fat protein and carbohydrate because I think it's confusing, but I would say that the compounds present together in foods that tend to be higher in fat um, and are just have to happen to be depleted of fiber and phytonutrients. So um, I like to think about, I like to talk about in terms of food as opposed to macronutrients, but are you talking about body fat or are you talking about fat that we eat? Well, um, both can be hormonally dysregulating. Yeah. I've, I've appeared on the stage with Dr. John McDougal and did a talk about protein requirements. Wouldn't you say that the biggest confusion amongst the public right now, because of these people are advocating very high fat diets and also high protein diets uh, specifically, I think that leads to a lot of potential disease when they advocate these kind of programs, doesn't it? Right. But if we talk about fat, like what's a fat, like people don't, I think the reason there's so much confusion is because even healthcare professionals and researchers are using these words. And if you look at the evidence, there's no evidence to suggest that this type of macro ratio versus this type of macro ratio uh, is beneficial over the other. In fact, I always cite the example from the 2018 Lancet article that concluded that a high carbohydrate diet and a low carbohydrate diet both increase mortality. So it's like quite literally meaningless. And so I try to encourage people to look at foods and talk about eating vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, mushrooms, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices, and ignoring how many, how much fat and how much carbohydrate, because naturally if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet, all of the macros tend to fall into place and it doesn't matter anyway. And I do recommend in all of my recipe books, I'm now working on my seventh book right now. Um, and all of my recipes are either completely without oil and sugar, you know, refined foods, 
Um, or maybe we'll use like a drop of sesame oil in a four serving kind of a thing. But I don't use oils um, predominantly because it's a processed food. So when people stick to whole plant foods, you really can't mess it up very easily. It's impossible. You know, I'm glad you make that point because often in front of audiences, uh, they'll argue about wanting to add oil to the diet. And I say, well, wait a minute, sugar beet, would you agree is good for you? And they'll say yes. And I say the sugar extracted from beets, is that good for you? And they'll say, well, no, of course not. I say, well, why would you then ignore the fact that oils come from whole foods, such as nuts and seeds, you know, coconut and so forth, and it alters their absorption into the body. And mechanically, Nathan Pritikin said this years ago, that fat is very greasy and sticky and it clumps the blood cells together and reduces oxygen delivery to all the cells of the body. So it really is potentially, as you said, a whole food issue rather than a processed. And you, you really remove most of the arguments when people are advocating that uh, it's, it's all about fat, protein, carbohydrate. No, it's, it really gets back to the whole food intact, right? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about food, people know what that means. If we tell people limit their saturated fat, then people don't know what that means. If you say, you know, eat a low carb diet, that doesn't mean anything, you know, it really doesn't mean anything. And like, if you think about a potato, a potato has a better amino acid score profile than does lean beef. So is it a protein, is it a carb? And then you infuse it with oil and make a French fry and then it becomes a high fat food. So there really is no rhyme or reason when you start talking about it from a macronutrient perspective. And I really, my goal is to get the language back into food that people recognize and are able to manipulate and use and understand and translate it on the table. Correct. So that being said, when you're, when you're looking at uh, a meal plan and you have these wonderful recipes in your book um, and your blog, and you talk about say the 20 best breakfast ideas or the 50 best, you know, uh, meal plan recipes. Uh, People think in terms of, they they default to the five or 10 different meat-based, dairy-based recipes, instead of looking at the wonderful wonderful array of whole plant-based foods. Do you find though with that variety that some people who either have gut issues due to, and do you take issue with GMO and organic and that it might be problematic for the gut and these, uh, um, you know, these various uh, herbicides, if you will, is there a concern when you introduce a a big variety of whole plant-based foods that some people, um, particularly those with gluten issues and gut issues, um, how do you go about that? Well, I mean, I think it can be a distraction very easily and, if people are deciding between, you know, having a fast food burger and having non-GMO or GMO spinach, I mean, there's like no question what's going to be better for you. So the, the most important question is compared to what I'm not really concerned so much about those little things. I mean, and gluten is a specific issue for specific people. It's not something that's generalizable. So I, I just, I feel like people get really caught up in all these details that not, don't necessarily serve them or serve their goals. And it just, the, it's all about like, what are you comparing this to? What are you eating? What were you eating yesterday that you're comparing this to today? That is this the, the better choice? And of course you just want to get to as close as whole as you possibly can as much as possible and look at the overall totality of the diet. And it, it, in, in terms of say physical performance with individuals, when, when they're wanting to 
be faster on the, on the racetrack in sprints, or maybe they want to be better at long distance endurance or various sports. Do you see with your athletes that they at least need to understand a need to take in say more caloric density to equal what they were accustomed to, to eating more meat, cheese, eggs, and dairy product, which are clearly just like sugar and oil, excessively calorically dense. So what do you see in that transition to be kind of a, a good overall plan for athletes? Well, but it, it matters depending on what sport, the frequency of the workouts, what they were eating prior um, to transitioning to this way of eating. So there are, you know, there's so many different types of sports where either they're, you know, endurance athletes are going to, it just, just depends on what they're doing. So I work with different types of athletes and like a lot of people tend to feel like they can't eat enough. Some, you know, when they're doing a high intensity type of sport. And so, you know, I help them concentrate calories and, and make it a little easier for them or teach them how to kind of plan their meals so that they're getting enough throughout the day. But um, more often than not, all they need to do is just transition to this way of eating. Their appetite is going to be as big as it was because they're a, an athlete and they will just naturally increase their intake and, and their overall calorie. So you, you find that they, they do perform better, but if they don't understand the caloric density and the timing of the meals, they, they may fall short, right? Um, well, it depends. Usually appetite is really good dictates of how much they need. And I don't really, you know, I don't think I've seen a lot of that. I see more people kind of like wanting to just know the right foods. And I think that those right foods end up helping them fuel really well and recover really well. So they could train harder the next day. And I think that I haven't seen too many people struggle except for the ones that are trying to gain extra weight or trying to keep weight on. And then we have to kind of navigate the situation and, and do little specific tactics here and there to just kind of make sure they're getting enough. But for most people, it's pretty seamless, the transition. Well, when you say seamless, is there a transition where people feel somewhat addicted to the high sugar, the high oil contents um, as compared to, you know, plant-based, essentially more oil-free and sugar-free? Uh, do you find that it takes maybe six weeks? I see different things. I don't like to, I stopped working with people about 10 years ago that weren't ready to make the transition because I don't want to try to convince anyone. My goal is not to try to convince someone to eat a certain way, but I'll help them eat a certain way when they're ready to do so. And they want it because it is a big deal. And you do have to change the way you look at the plate and you have to change the way you navigate going out and socializing, although that's much changed right nowadays, but um, it just, you know, most people, they have to want it. You have to want it to make a change, a major change to your diet, no matter what it is. And when they want it, you know, yeah, there are the hiccups where people are still, you know, eating. Now we have all this plant-based junk food out there and because it says vegan or plant-based people think it has a health halo and it's totally acceptable to just swap that for the animal product version. But then they still are not dealing with the issues at hand that are leading them to overeat or crave sugars or high fat foods or whatever it is. But, um, so if they want it and they have certain specific health goals, I run a weight loss support group. I do a lot of weight loss. I do a lot of, um, so I work with a lot of people that are trying to get off of those kinds of foods. And yeah, there's definitely a time period that needs to happen where the consistency is taking place and you're getting, you're changing your palate and habits are formed and you move away from eating those things and more closer to a whole foods diet. But as you stick to the whole foods diet, your palate absolutely, you know, enjoys the food more and more and more, and it's easier to stay away from all that other stuff that's not serving you. Have you ever looked at, um, kind of using, uh, 
either in conjunction with the doctors you work with or, or yourself uh, doing uh, blood morphology and, and chemistries and things to kind of see the improvements, particularly like say with B12, omega, the vitamin D. These are the things that often people come up with uh, as a reason or excuse to, to not jump in full force, you know, for um, a whole plant-based diet. So what do you, what do you use in that regard? hundred percent. I have all my clients before their consults and annually do lab work and stay on top of all of that. I do check vitamin D, MMA for their B12 status, homocysteine, and then all of the lipids, all that stuff. And it's actually part of my favorite, my favorite part of the whole process is that you may see a difference on the outside, but when you see the difference in your lab work, that's really exciting. Like that's where the magic is happening. Yeah. So I, I do love to look at the lab work parameters and, and monitor. And I mean, I've done experiments, like even on the Dr. Oz show where we were testing like four days later and they already had improvements in blood pressure and lipids that quickly. It happens so quickly. Yeah. Um, it, it's exciting because uh, I I've written a book um, here, blood doesn't lie. And uh, on, on the TV screen, I've, I've put a, a drop of blood of my own blood just now while we've been talking. And one of the things is to see visually what triglycerides uh, do because cholesterol is dissolved in the blood. So they don't see the cholesterol that builds up as plaques in the arteries. They, they essentially, uh, how shall I say, the end result is I do a carotid artery scan to show them the amount of plaques in their arteries. But I do a drop of blood in the middle of the day, not just fasting, because I want to show them what goes on in, in the blood and, and in the circulation. As you can see fairly clearly, um, the red blood cells separated. Uh, there, there's a little bit of platelets there, which is normal because I just stuck my finger. And the blood's alive. It's moving. Have you ever had this test done or used it in your practice to kind of evaluate or any of the doctors you work with use this? What's the test called? Uh, it's a blood hematology test. Uh, so it evaluates similar to what a CBC would show uh, in, in terms of numbers, but visually we're looking at overt anemia in terms of anemia would show up in the form of like oval shaped red blood cells or too small would be an iron anemia. If the white blood cells have too many lobes and we know that it's a classic B12 deficiency. So this is magnified under a microscope 6,000 times. And uh, as, as you can see, I'm streaming directly uh, into, you know, the, the talk right now. Yeah. I've been doing this for 44 years. It's one way I get leverage with people if, if they see their blood. And um, it, as you can see, my blood is very, very evenly separated. And I tend to run triglycerides between 45 and 85 uh, throughout the day, not above 150. And I, I published a study uh, with 696 uh, patients with uh, Tony Robbins, where I monitored his people in six-month intervals when they first came eating hamburgers and you know meat and things uh, uh, coming in from flights from all over the world. And then within nine days, we put them on uh, a cookbook that I had written, uh, Whole Plant-Based Eating. And um, you know this is the final, the newer cookbook, Simply Healthy Cookbook, but it was dramatic. There was a 40% reduction in triglycerides and cholesterol. The LDL, the bad cholesterol came down the most, uh, all in nine days. And that was published uh, in one of my early uh, works. And I, I reprinted it in the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, which is viewed in Harvard and Stanford and different places. So this is one of my passions, you know, because sometimes seeing is believing. If, if I, I recently did a podcast that I posted actually 
the podcast was recorded from uh, 19, I think it was 1992. And Tony Robbins uh, encouraged people to come see me back in those days to do this exact test. But it, it's, um, it's revealing. Very cool. Yeah. So have you looked at your hormone levels or your clients? Is that part of your practice? Because you mentioned you're, you're into, you know, evaluating their progress. Uh, a little bit. Yes. I look at some basic lab um, hormones, but I'm not, that's not exactly what I focus on. It's just some one part of it. Yeah. So what would you say when you lecture, it sounds like you're not doing so much one-on-one, but you're lecturing to groups and, and doing more zoom and talks and things, or what, what is your main focus right now, in, including your new book, right? I, I'm an author and I see clients one-on-one. So I do work with, that is my day job. I see clients one-on-one now on Zoom or FaceTime or Skype or whatever that is. Um, I work with people around the world and I have a weight loss support group and writing books and articles and doing videos and that kind of thing. So just trying to get the message out there and help as many people as I can. So how do you filter to get clients that are already highly motivated? You mentioned earlier that you prefer not to work with people who are not motivated. How does that, how do they get to you uh, in that state? Well, that's why they're reaching out to me. They're at that point where they're ready. And if they're not, I'm like, well, hey, there are a lot of dietitians I could help try to convince you, but I'm just not going to try to convince you. And I think people kind of know me like that. Like I'm, I, you could do it. You do you. This is all about what you want to do. And if you want me to support you, I'm happy to do so. But I don't want to try to convince anyone anymore. What do you see um, in the future of health and in medicine? And don't you see a rather dramatic improvement when you combine the elements of quality, consistent exercise, whether it be strength, strength training or various physical activities that get the heart rate up, and along with quality sleep and stress management? And it... I wasn't sure if you also include supplementation uh, for your clients uh, with the exception of say B12 and the omegas, but how do you put the whole program together in summary? Well, it depends on the person, but I always do an assessment so I can individualize my recommendations and I absolutely include lifestyle because it's not just diet is number one, most important, most biggest impact. No question. I mean, that's scientifically shown now that diet is the number one cause of early mor- morbidity and, um, and uh, mortality. And uh, so definitely sleep and exercise and personal trainers. So I incorporate fitness and exercise and movement more. I'm more moving more towards movement as opposed to hardcore exercise nowadays, except for my athletes, because we just need to be more active. That's what all the research shows too. And yeah, I, I focus on all of that and give people an individualized program to help meet their goals based on their lifestyle. And, and- what would you say uh, when you combine the full program together, not, not, not just the separate elements? Uh, years ago in 1994, I wrote a book, Grow Young and Slim, and it went into all the aspects of plant-based eating, exercise. I think it was well ahead of its time, uh, endorsed by Dr. Ron Klatz, uh, who is the president of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine doctors, 26,000 doctors around the world. And I also went into the need for, as we age, to monitor hormones, uh, particularly, you know, for the, the goal of bioidentical hormones. And so with all that work, uh, I came to the conclusion that I agree with you. I think diet's number one without, without exception, because so many people do it wrong, <laughs> right? To do it right, 
is huge. Now, exercise does cover up for a lot of mistakes and problems, even dietary um, inconsistencies, but it won't solve it, especially over a, a long period of time, right? So how would you place them in order of importance? Diet, number one, what would be number two, three, four, five in, in your world? Oh, I don't know. I've never thought about it like that. I think they're all synergistically aligned and symbiotic. And if you don't sleep well, it's hard to eat well. And if you don't eat well, it's hard to sleep well. And if you don't exercise, it all so magnificently brilliant at, at putting them all together and, and coming up with our health or, you know, or a symptom accordingly, according to how we treat our bodies. So I don't know if I would prioritize them in a certain order. Yeah. Um, how about these two books uh, by Joel Furman, uh, End of Diabetes and How Not to Die by Michael Greger? Are these two mm -hmm. books that you would say are worthwhile? Absolutely. Yeah. So with your goal to educate not only the nation, are you after the world as well? I do. I work around the world. I actually have clients around the world. I, have, I do uh, culinary retreats outside when, when we were able to travel and I'm planning on doing some more as soon as the world opens up. That's fantastic. So in, any final words for our audience that you feel they really need to be clear about the stages of evolution toward a longer, better quality life? No one can really promise they're going to extend lifespan yet, right? I mean, out of 400 billion people that have lived on our planet during the last is any number of recorded years of time we understand, there's only been five people that have exceeded the age of 117. So there is like a- say In my, my last book, The Health Spend Solution, the whole idea is to live longer, not just live longer, like to add years to your life as opposed to life, add life to years as opposed to years to your life. Because yeah, we don't, we don't, but that's probably coming from a pharmaceutical or some kind of uh, medical, there's all sorts of advances that are taking place. But in the meanwhile, we want to feel good, die fast, right? Like live to a long, healthy age, but just to have an amazing life and be able to play with your grandchildren, be able to have energy and feel good and avoid disease and all that. But I would say to your audience that it's all about a journey and no one has to do this overnight and be perfect. It's progress, not perfection. And every time, every meal, every bite, every choice you make is going to serve you or not. And so you can just take it one bite at a time and do, do as much research as you can so you understand why and know why you're doing it for you. Know your why. And when you know your why, it's easy to figure out all the details. The rest is just paperwork. With all of that uh, passion, enthusiasm, and knowledge that you have, uh, do you find that it's rather contagious and it helps your clients to kind of see how they too can walk in your steps as a guide, right? We, you and I are a guide to them. I mean, we coach them, but they don't want to hear about our successes if they're not able to apply the principles and become successful themselves, right? I don't know. I mean, people tell me that that it's inspiring, but it's like you just want to you just want to empower them. I want to empower my clients to be able to make these decisions on their own and to know exactly what they need to do. I always tell my clients, you're going to have a PhD in how to eat this way. You're just going to you're just going to master this process so that you don't need me. I don't want people to rely on me long term. I want them to really feel empowered to make these decisions on a regular basis so that they could, you know, live at their best life and do the best that they can. So in final closing, what are the three mistakes people make most often in making lifestyle changes? And what are the three most important things they can do to overcome those mistakes? Well, 
Uh, let's see. One mistake would be to think that they have to be perfect and go all in. If they make a mistake, they can't get back on track because they just throw in the towel. So I would say if you, if there's something you've done, it's nothing is undoable and nothing is irreversible. Start again right now. That's the first one. The second one is to be careful what you listen to and what you, you know, follow. Because like, if you see, for instance, a vegan label on a on a recipe, on a, what's it called? Like anything at the market, it doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy. So really understand what you're looking for, look at, you know, why you're looking for what you're looking for and just kind of understand as much information as you can um, and be careful, what you, be careful what you believe. And what the third thing um, is to, it doesn't matter. Like you don't have to tell everyone what you're doing. You don't have to like explain to everyone because I try to get my clients to just kind of like focus on them and be a lighthouse, not a tugboat. Because if you're worried about everyone else and take care of everyone else, and if I change this and my husband's not gonna change this and all that, then it becomes overwhelming and you really can't proceed like that. You have to focus on only you because you could only change yourself. And so I, I, I recommend people just choose themselves and focus on how they could make themselves as healthy and feel as good as they can on their own first and then everyone else may or may not follow and it doesn't matter either way because you gotta take care of yourself first. And also I, I did write a book, um, as I mentioned earlier, Blood Doesn't Lie, but I also realized that relationships affect our, our way of eating and our lifestyle. In my book, Mastering Love, Sex and Intimacy, I talked about kind of the six different principles, human needs. And when we find a partner that meets those six human needs, it, it makes our life uh, well worthwhile, particularly when you're raising children. There's so many families that are disconnected now. And, and now the kids are left in the middle of, you know, what do you do, particularly when two parents don't follow the same kind of program. So in, in health and relationships, uh, sometimes people have to form a new tribe, right? I mean, if, if their core family isn't doing the right thing, they have to kind of reach out and, and create and reach out to people like ourselves to get some guidance and help and support. It helps. It definitely helps. But really, you can only, you know, take care of yourself. And yeah, if you could find support, that's wonderful. Not everyone's able to do so. There is a lot of uh, more access now with the internet and all the social media. So that's helpful. But um, yeah, I think that's, it's definitely helpful to have support. Thank you so much for having me. I've, I've got to jump off, but I really appreciate the time. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. And uh, this is Dr. Nick Delgado saying, be strong, be well, and uh, stay tuned to our next segments. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Beyond Human, and also on uh, YouTube. Thank you and share because this program is well worthwhile. Your diet, your exercise, your thoughts, the supplements you take, the choices you make, it's up to you as was stated in this show. Thank you so much. State your name again and the book that you want them to know about in your website. My name is Juliana Hever and I'm known as the plant-based dietitian and you can find me at plantbaseddietitian.com. Plantbaseddietitian.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was an amazing show. And now I want to put it all together for you. How do you locate these incredible natural herbs, organic, the best, designed to help you to improve your hormonal balance, give you energy, help you to look and feel great? DocNutrients.com. This is our sponsor. There is a special quiz. Please take the immune system quiz, and it's going to give you some incredible feedback and ideas about how to strengthen your immune system during these troubling times. 
Be well. It's 2021, and we're here to support you.